Our Bible reading this morning is Mark 4, 26 to 34. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. The parable of the mustard seed. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, it's great to, have, to see you this morning. Uh, my name's Tim. Uh, I normally go to the uh, 10.30 service, if you weren't here at the start of this service. Um, it's a real pleasure to be opening God's word uh, with you today. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of parables. Um, and so what I've been doing this week is I've been having a bit of a think about parables and how it is that parables help us understand something better. You see, parables put one picture of a, or a story or something against another idea or a concept. And that helps us understand, understand that thing better. It gives us an insight into that thing which we may not have seen before. It allows us to relate an everyday object or an experience to something that is more abstract, that it's more difficult to understand. Take, uh, for example, the idea of life. If someone asks you to describe life, it's really difficult to to answer, isn't it? But if we speak in parables or if we speak in images, then it actually allows us to describe life in a way which isn't always so easy to articulate. So I thought I might start this morning by just talking about how some modern day thinkers describe life using parables or images. This is what Patti Smith, the American singer, said about life. Life is like a roller coaster. It's going to have perfect moments and then rough spots, but it's all worth it. What about this one? Life is like a blanket that's too short. You pull it up and your toes rebel. You yank it down and shivers meander around your shoulders. But cheerful folks manage to draw their knees up to the chest and have a comfortable night. Um, This is what Albert Einstein said about life. He said, life is like a bicycle. Keep on moving to maintain balance. Um, This is what the American singer Garth Brooks said about life. He said... Life is like therapy, real expensive and no guarantees. This is my favourite. Life is like a bowl of nachos. It can be yummy, crunchy or squishy and yucky. It just depends how long it takes you to start eating it. 
Uh, and finally, life is like a hot bath. It feels good when you're in it, but the longer you stay, the more wrinkled you get. You can see that as you consider a range of comparisons about life, you actually get all this nuanced view um, than any one description about life might get. The more time you spend contemplating these images, the more insight you might get. Um, and today we're going to look at two of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus told many parables throughout his ministry and about the coming kingdom. And each parable gives us a little glimpse into what that kingdom would be like. And together, when we look at them all together, they're going to form a really complete and cohesive picture about his kingdom. The two parables which we're going to look at today, as we've had read, are both really short. They're both very concise and use the image of a growing seed to highlight some key aspects of the kingdom of God. Now, if you look at the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, these guys use numerous passages, probably about 20 parables in total, to describe the kingdom of God. But Mark has actually only chosen four parables, and they're all found in this chapter to talk about the kingdom of God. There's three parables which use the image of a seed growing into plants, and there's one parable about a lamp. I think Mark has chosen these parables very carefully and very deliberately. He's chosen because they actually show us some key aspects of the kingdom of God that it's really vital that we understand. So before we jump into God's word, why don't we uh, ask for God's help as we do so? Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Father, as we come to your word today, give us ears to hear. I pray that if any of us here today have things in our lives, in our minds that are stopping us hearing your word, uh, that you would rid, them, rid us of them. And we pray that as, as we read your word, our hearts and our minds would be open, that you would enable our minds to understand the truth of your word, and that you would enable our hearts to respond in love and obedience to you. Amen. Now, before we jump into these parables, it's really helpful to have a think about the context in which the parables were told. To f and also to consider maybe our own preconceived ideas about what the kingdom of God is like. See, to fully grasp the impact of what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God, it's important to understand what his listeners would have been expecting when he talked about the kingdom of God. What images did they have in their minds when the kingdom of God was discussed? Because I think when we fully understand this, um, what a first century Jew would have been expecting the kingdom of God to would be like, we'll actually see how radical um, what Jesus was saying was and how really massively transformative to society and to the world the kingdom of God would be. And one way to think about this is, and to think about what Jesus' listeners were expecting the kingdom of God to be like, is actually to picture Israel under the rule of King David. David was Israel's great king. He was the model to which later generations continued to look to. And it was a king like David they longed for in order to restore their nation. But what were the key aspects of David's kingship? that a first century Jew would have been expecting? Well, firstly, they would have been expecting that their enemies were defeated. 
just as David had led Israel into battle against all the enemies, had vanquished them from the land, so also they would expect the Messiah to defeat the Romans, to banish them from their promised land. They would expect the glory of God to dwell in the temple again, just as God's glory had filled the tabernacle in David's time, a clear demonstration that God was dwelling with his people. The first century Jews would expect that as the kingdom of God came, that God again would dwell in his temple. They would expect that there'd be a time of blessing and plentifulness in the land, but also that there'd be a time of peace. And I want to ask ourselves, is our idea of a kingdom, an empire, a great dynasty, significantly different to this? The great empires of the world have always been established through military might, through technological innovation. It's still the biggest and the smartest that exert their rule over others, isn't it? So is this the way that you think about the kingdom of God? Or do you perhaps go to the other extreme and tend to think about the God as the kingdom of God as something that only exists in another realm? A place in the sky with God and the angels. One that we only enter after death. Is your vision of the kingdom of God primarily about going to heaven when we die? You see, I think neither of these views is actually how the New Testament describes the kingdom of God. And as we think about the kingdom of God, it's essential that we allow God's word to shape our understanding. If we revert to a worldly understanding of the kingdom, then it's actually going to dramatically change the way in which we see Christianity and the way in which we engage in the growth of God's kingdom. So let's have a look at these parables. And the first thing I want to talk about, and the first thing that I think we see in the parables, is that the kingdom of God grows and will reach fulfilment under God's control, even though we don't always see what's happening. Let me read to you the first parable again, the parable of the growing seed from Mark 4:26. He also said to them, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe... He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, when we, I don't know about you, but when we come to a picture like this, I think it's really hard to put down our 21st century thinking where we think if we can somehow apply a scientific mindset to this parable, then that'll actually allow us to understand the parable better. You know, if I can understand the process by which the DNA in the seed causes the seed to grow and sprout and become a plant, then somehow I'll understand this parable better. I don't think that's the point at all. I think there's a fascinating mystery to the way in which plants grow. And that it's this mystery which Jesus is tapping into when he tells this parable. Who's seen Woolworth's latest attempt to keep us shopping with them? The Woolworth's Discovery Garden offers children and the occasional adult the opportunity to discover the mystery by which seeds grow into vegetables. Now... You have to admit, this is so much better than the idea of collecting miniature tins of tuna or bottles of laundry detergent. 
I just don't get that at all. But the thing is, when you plant a seed, you have to wait to see the outcome. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God will grow in that same hidden way under God's control. See, just as the farmer in the parable sows the seed, so also Jesus has come to earth to sow the seed of the gospel. That is, he proclaims the good news about God's salvation. What's the first thing that Jesus says in his public ministry according to Mark? If we have a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' primary message is to announce the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that comes with the arrival of Jesus. And in the parable, the seed then grows in mysterious ways without the apparent presence of the farmer. Just as the kingdom will grow when Jesus returns to heaven and is no longer present with his disciples. And that's what we see in Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, isn't it? After Jesus returns to heaven, the good news about him will absolutely explode and the kingdom will grow as Jesus' disciples go out into the world to spread the good news about him. And when the seed has fully grown and become a fully ripe plant that is ready for harvest, we see that the farmer will return to harvest the crop. In the same way, one day Jesus will return to judge and that this will be when his kingdom is fully revealed. Now, as we dive a bit deeper into this parable, I think we're going to see two things. We're going to see an encouragement to us as Christians, but we're also going to see a warning. Firstly, an, an encouragement. As Christians, as people who are part, consider ourselves part of God's kingdom, it's really easy in our world to wonder whether God is really involved, to wonder whether Jesus really is king. See, we know in our hearts that God is a good God who loves us, who loves the world, but as we look around the world, it's not as, if, as God designed it, is it? It's really easy to question, how can God be king when there's so much suffering, so much evil, so much conflict in the world? Did the kingdom really come with Jesus as he said? Or do we actually have to wait till we die to experience the kingdom? So just as when the seed sprouts, it's not possible to observe the growth of the plant, so also God's kingdom will grow unseen. Now, I think this tension was felt um, very acutely by the first century Christians, which were the initial readers of, of this parable. As the Christians experienced the persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire, they would have wondered, is Jesus really king? See, the, the Apostle John had a vision, which he wrote down in the book of Revelation, and this vision is filled with this tension. The tension between what is happening to Christians around them versus the spiritual reality of the situation. The first century Christian lives were filled with persecution, and the Roman Empire seemed to have all the power. It would have been natural to, to ask, if God really is king, why isn't he demonstrating his rule? And in Revelation, John gets a glimpse into the heavenly realm. He actually gets to see a different reality, a reality that is not just a future event, 
but it is actually happening now. He gets to see the spiritual reality behind what is happening on earth at the time around him as the Christians face persecution. And this vision shows us that the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God uh, is actually different than as he looks at the world around him. Let me just read to you from Revelation 11 verses 15 through uh, to 17. It says, uh, this is the elders in, in, in the heavenly realms proclaiming um, praise to God. It says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. See, this vision is not just pointing to a future event, an event of judgment, event of the end times, but it's actually showing that God's kingdom has come now on earth. God's reign has begun. Yes, it hasn't been fully realised, but Christians should be confident that God is now king. So just as when the seed first starts to grow, it's impossible to see its progress without digging it up, so also the kingdom of God grows in ways which are not always obvious. But the reality is, is that God's kingdom is growing and God is demonstrating his rule. See, the parable of the growing seed should provide great encouragement when we doubt if God is really at work in the world because it shows that God is working in ways to grow his kingdom that we may not always see. And as we look around at our own society, in Australia in 2019, I think it's really easy to think that God is not present at times, isn't it? The media tells us that our God is irrelevant. Our politicians pass laws which are contrary to God's good design of the world. Many of the people we talk to are best ambivalent about the claims of Jesus. Are these signs that the kingdom of God is faltering in our world, that God is no longer at work in the world. But do you see, if we actually believe the parable of the growing seed, we'll trust that God is still at work. And I think if we look at the way in which God is transforming the lives of those who come to know him, we will actually be convinced that God is at work, that God's kingdom grows as people come to know him, as people come to submit their lives to Jesus as they live their lives as kingdom people, as lives with Jesus as their king. So we see an encouragement in the parable of the growing seed, but we also see a warning. Verse 29 in this parable, Jesus says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Throughout the Bible, This image of a harvest is continually used to describe God's judgment, to describe a time when God will come and he will sort the grain from the weeds and the chaff. God will collect the grain. He will collect his people to himself, but he will discard and burn the weeds. That is, he will judge and destroy those who oppose him, those who are not part of his kingdom. And you notice... In this parable, there's a real inevitability of the harvest. See, the seed will grow into a plant that produces grain. 
And when that occurs, the man will return to the harvest. This is not in question. In the same way, Jesus' return is inevitable. It will happen. The warning here is to make sure that you're part of God's kingdom when that occurs. When Jesus returns, he will return as king. And he will only save those who have actually acknowledged him as king. All others will face his judgment. If we keep reading in that passage in Revelation 11, we see that part of the elders' worship is actually to praise God for his judgment, judgment that is inevitable. Verse 18 of chapter 11, Revelation says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets. See, John's vision reveals that God is reigning now and that his judgment is inevitable even though at times it may not feel like this. So, Wollongong, it's 2019. What are we called to do? The reality that God's kingdom will grow and that judgment will come should motivate us to be part of that process, to be sowers of the seed, to be part of God's plan for our world. We are called to live lives of kingdom people, now, over the next term, we've heard that we're going to be looking at uh, the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a great book when it talks about how to live as kingdom people, how to live as God's people in an often hostile world. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity to explore these themes further. But we're called to live lives which demonstrate that living with God as our king is good, right, the way that life is designed to be lived. But we're also called to tell people the good news about Jesus, to be engaged in our local community, to be building connections with those who haven't yet come to know Jesus so that they can hear the good news about Jesus. So the first thing we've seen about the kingdom of God is that it will grow, it will reach fulfilment under God's control, even though we don't always see that happening. The second thing we see from these parables is that the kingdom of, grow, well, kingdom of God will grow from small and seemingly insignificant events. Let's read the second parable together. Mark 4, uh, Mark 4 verse 30. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So Jesus here is using the smallest of all seeds, you know, the mustard seed. These are the seeds you use to make your curry. They are tiny, absolutely minuscule. It, I find it's absolutely astonishing that these seeds will grow into a massive plant, a massive tree, that even the birds can sit on and uh, sit in the shade of. The contrast in size between the mustard seed and the tree in which it grows is the same with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is established through what at the time seems like small and insignificant events, but which actually will grow into something which is much greater, which is all-encompassing, something that will provide safety and shelter just as the birds will find shelter in the shade of the mustard tree, so also God's kingdom will provide shelter and safety for those who are with God in his kingdom. 
So I just want to look now at a couple of ways in which the kingdom of God is established from small events in which the world sees as insignificant. And the first thing I want to look at is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of the word. It's not a kingdom of violence, but it's actually a kingdom of the good news about Jesus going out and being received. If we think about what are the key ways in which empires or kingdoms of the world normally grow, it's through conquest and violence, isn't it? Think about the Assyrian Empire in the Old Testament, Alexander's Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, Genghis Khan's Empire in Mongolia, even the British and the American empires of the 19th and 20th century were all grow through military might, through technological advances and through conquest. Jesus in this parable is actually pointing to the fact that God's kingdom will not grow in this way. See, three of the four parables in this chapter in Mark are about seeds. And I think it's clear that the seed that's planted is the word of God. We might not always see the results of the word going out and the ways in which we respond, but the kingdom of God is established when people respond to the word of God, the good news about Jesus, and, and accept Jesus as their king, as ruler over their lives. They accept his sacrifice for their sins, but they also accept him as, as ruler. It's as Jesus becomes king over people's lives that both their own lives and the community around them is transformed by the power of God. And as we think about God's kingdom and the way in which it grows, I think it's essential to remember this. Whenever Christianity has adopted a worldly mindset for growth and embraced worldly options or military options for growing the kingdom, the results have been disastrous. You only have to look at things like the Crusades in the 11th and 12th century or the Spanish Inquisition to see the abuses that come about when we adopt uh, a worldly mindset for growth of the kingdom rather than pursuing um, the spreading of God's word. Our strategy for kingdom growth should be based on a conviction that we've been called to proclaim the good news about Jesus and that through God's power, through his spirit, it, he will be at work in those conversations. And it's in this way that his kingdom will grow. And the second thing I want to look at, second way in which I think the kingdom grows from small and seemingly insignificant events is that the kingdom of God is actually established through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Another way of saying this is God's reign as king on earth is implemented through the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, who could have seen that the crucifixion of a Jewish rabbi in first century Israel would establish God's everlasting kingdom, his rule, his reign, that would grow and spread throughout the whole earth. But it's exactly in these events that Jesus, God's king, conquers the real enemy. When Jesus dies on the cross, he exhausts the power of sin and death. And in doing so, he brings victory over Satan and all God's enemies. And when Jesus is resurrected, raised to life, it's a demonstration that that victory is complete, that God, that Jesus now really is king. You see, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's telling them he's, he won't be a king who's going to lead an army in triumph over the Roman occupiers. 
that his disciples expect him to. No, rather Jesus is going to become king through dying a seemingly insignificant death on a Roman cross. The type of death that is reserved for the worst of criminals. Who could have possibly predicted that God's eternal kingdom would be established in this small and seemingly humble way? Uh, John in his gospel describes it like this. John uh, chapter 12, verses 23 uh, through to 26. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So glorified really means that he's, he's going to be made king. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Jesus describes the laying down of his life, his impending death, as a seed that dies, but in that process produces many more seeds, many more people who are brought into the kingdom of God. These words of Jesus and the parable that we're looking at should provide comfort and encouragement to Jesus' disciples as they face his impending death. And they will no doubt question, what is God doing in all these events? Jesus is reminding his disciples that even though at times it will look like God is silent, that he's actually at work and that the growth of his kingdom is inevitable despite what their situation may look like at the time. So I want to end today by just asking some questions to reflect on on what we've heard from God's word today. Questions around how does your understanding of the kingdom of God shape your life? Are you encouraged that that God is at work and that his kingdom is growing despite what we might see around us? Do you have a healthy amount of fear that God's judgment is inevitable? And are you encouraged that God's kingdom grows through small and humble ways as people come to know Jesus? And does this knowledge, the knowledge of these things, does it motivate us to be a sower of the word, proclaiming the good news about Jesus? Are you confident that Jesus has conquered sin and death through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and that through this small and seemingly insignificant event that Jesus has indeed become king. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you that you are a God that is at work in our world. Uh, Even though we don't always see this, um, that your kingdom is growing under your control. Our Father, we want to praise you that even though you don't do things necessarily the way which we might, that your, your wisdom is supreme and that you will bring all things to fulfilment uh, at the end times. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he became king when he died in the, on the cross in our place. Father, help us to live lives um, as kingdom people. 
Help us to be passionate sowers of the word, proclaiming the good news about Jesus in our community. And help us to live lives of kingdom people, lives which glorify you in everything we do. Amen.